Well, it's good to see all who have gathered here tonight. I want to welcome everyone here, and especially to visitors. I see some visitors in our midst tonight, and we're very glad that you have joined with us. I want to also welcome those tuned in online. May the Lord bless you as you watch on from wherever you are. I just want to give a few very basic announcements, and then we'll move along with the program. Uh, I want to thank also everyone who's been involved in bringing together tonight Dr. Overley, all the musicians, the choir, others who are reading and participating. I'm very appreciative to everyone's involvement and your commitment to uh, encourage our hearts here this evening, which I hope will be the response of us all. I want to tell you also, for everyone who's here, please, I hope if you haven't got one of these, you're going to be lost tonight, so make sure you have one. And uh, if you need to slip out to get one, then please do so. At least be able to look over the shoulder of others so that you can follow. Because, I say all of that, uh, once we begin, uh, everyone just comes up. You're not going to be introduced or announced ahead of time. Each person uh, needs to just come in your order, which includes the congregation. And the congregation have various opportunities to sing. Sometimes you're standing, sometimes you're not, and it's there in front of you, so hopefully we can all follow it as it is laid out for us here this evening. There's a tremendous joy to be here and just consider what God has done for us in the sending of a son, which is the focus of all that will take place here tonight. And we want to begin with prayer, so let us all pray and ask for the Lord's blessing upon us. Our Father, we are so thankful to be here tonight, to listen to the music, to join in the singing, to consider all that is bound up in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we would all benefit from being here tonight, help everyone participating, help everyone contributing, and grant gracious God that we all will go away knowing that our souls were fed that we were encouraged. So bless us, forgive our many sins, help us to engage and to attend to what is read before us, and grant that your name would be glorified in everything said and done. Hear and answer our prayers. We offer them in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that's all. We will proceed. Thank you.
Isaiah 7, 10 through 14. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel.
Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 6. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. And this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace.
from the prophecy of Micah, chapter 5. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth.
The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 41 to 55. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever.
Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn.
Our next lesson is found in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said one to another, Let us go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things in her heart and pondered them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them.
Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you've found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way.
John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth.
The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 10 through 16. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life.
you have a copy of God's Word, could you turn for a short time to John 3, where Dr. Byers, whether he knew it or not, was reading my text for me for this evening. Thank you again to everyone. Really appreciate everyone's participation for the program tonight, and I trust our minds are drawn to consider what is familiar, I would imagine, to nearly all, if not everyone here this evening. This whole idea, this whole truth of God sending His Son into the world. And I want to just pause for a little time on John 3, and especially verse 16. The choir in their final piece drew our attention here as well. So it seemed fitting just to give some thought to this passage. For those of you who have heard me preach before, you know that it can be, you know, 50 minutes plus thereabouts. I promise it will not be tonight. I want us to have enough time to enjoy fellowship after after the service closes. But let us read John 3.16 again, and then just look at it briefly together. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Lord, give added light to this familiar verse, to those who have laid hold upon its truth, make it fresh and encouraging, to those who live in resistance to what it calls men to do, may that resistance be broken. Give the Holy Spirit, feed us, feed us on Christ. For we pray in His precious name. Amen. Our focus this evening, as may be predicted, is on the incarnation. Boys and girls, the word incarnation is just a term we use to uh, describe God taking on humanity, the Son of God taking humanity, taking human nature to Himself. The Bible tells us about this all the time throughout the New Testament. We, we read of it even in the Old Testament tonight, but in the New Testament it emphasizes it. 1 John 4, 2, Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. 1 Peter 3, 18, being put to death in the flesh, it says of the Lord Jesus. And again in that same epistle, 1 Peter 4, 1, Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh. Its truth is important, vital. When we think of how we are to be reconciled to God, this is where it begins, in the sense of what needed to happen. For God to intervene in the affairs of men, in order for man, cut off from God by nature, by his sin, it required God to come in a mission to address this need by taking on the very nature of those who have fallen of those who are lost. 
So I want to think for just a short time on John 3.16, God's message regarding His mission. God's message regarding His mission. And the context is familiar to many of you. You know this occasion here. We look at verse 1 and see there was a man of the Pharisees. This religious group, very, very devout religious group among the Jews. And this particular individual, Nicodemus by name, is a ruler. He has status. He has significance. And yet he came to Jesus by night. For those who were here recently, I was observing just how this shows, almost as if Nicodemus was, was involved in some kind of shameful thing. The things that we do under the cover of darkness, we don't want anyone to see. The places that men go, the things that they do, the exchanging of, of illegal goods, the getting involved in all sorts of other forms of sin that I'll not delve into now, men do and have traditionally done under the cover of darkness. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus, the Son of God, under the cover of darkness as if he's, as if he's doing some of those things. Going to those places you shouldn't go, going down those streets you know you shouldn't be found. He's doing this because he doesn't want to be known to have had any interaction with the Lord Jesus that would appear that he is listening to what he is saying and what he is doing, but he can't help himself. He must. He must have some of his questions answered. He must get before the Lord Jesus and inquire more because with all of his vast learning that had taken him to the pinnacle of religious leadership, he finds in the Lord Jesus things that seem bizarre, things that he can't reconcile, truths that he has not dwelt upon or taught through all of his years of instruction in the temple and the synagogues. Well, he comes, and I can't, of course, go over all that is here, but it culminates in very pointed language, and language that is just chock full of encouraging truth, such as we have in perhaps the most well-known verse in all of Scripture, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's look at this first by considering the motive behind it. This, this mission, God's message regarding His mission, we see something of the motive behind it. God so loved He's so loved. What a way to begin. And it's hard for us to really put ourselves in the scenario because you have to kind of move into that context where the Lord Jesus is standing before a man who has believed all of his life that God's peculiar special love is for the Jew to the implication, the conclusion that often they came to was he doesn't care about the rest of the world. He has no interest, or at least a very loose or distant interest in the rest of the world. And so the Lord Jesus is setting straight. He is smashing through what I think we can say Jewish racism. The racism that was inherent among many of them Maybe Nicodemus was an anomaly, but the Lord Jesus is addressing this truth and he's presenting it, saying that, look, Nicodemus, 
The prevailing thought, that sense of Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, this distance that there exists between Jews and other types of, of categories of people groups in the world, this doesn't communicate the heart of God and what He has planned. God so loved. He does not harbor hatred for the other nations, even though they be involved in all sorts of paganism, idolatry, and sin. His intention is to deliver them, to save them. For centuries, this had prevailed, as we've said, this, this notion, this thought that it is, is about us, that God's favor is toward us. And as I say, there's truth in that. There's truth in that. But the conclusions that bring you to think he has little or no concern about other nations is not what is taught. In fact, when you go back to the original promises that Abraham received from God, those promises made clear that through, through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so they ought to have anticipated God reaching into the world, which no doubt many of them did, but Nicodemus here needs to have it plainly brought before him. This is often the way we think about ourselves if we have been favored, maybe even, and I'm speaking here tonight knowing some of you are, are not normally in our midst, there can be, and let me say this as, as one uh, brought up in a nation that can also think similarly, because of the, the cultural dominance of Christianity in Northern Ireland, in America, in a few other nations that may incline themselves the same way, even to my father's side of the family, the Armenian side of the family, there's that prevailing thought as well, we're the first Christian nation. There's this kind of pride that goes along that imagines that we're different, we're special, we're not like others. And if we harbor thoughts like that, where we think that the rest of the world should just be let to go to hell, be left under condemnation, we're not getting the message. The motive of the incarnation, the motive of the child born of Mary's womb in Bethlehem of Judea, the motive behind this is love. Love. A love far more expansive than we can fathom, far more broad than we can imagine. A love, praise God, that has reached many of us here. There may be many Jews at that time could never have conceived all these people who descend from non-Jewish contexts being reached with the promises given to Abraham. And yet here we are, inheritors of the promise, recipients of God's plan and His love, the motive behind it. Secondly, the object, the object requiring it. The object requiring, what is it that needs this mission? Well, you have it there, the world, the world. The world needs it. Now, there's a broadness in that term, world. I am leaning on my memory here. I think the theologian, the Puritan theologian John Owen gave five different ways in which the word world is used in Scripture. So, it can be used in various ways, and there's a breadth to the term. But the Lord here is revealing there is a love, a love of God for the world. 
Now you can get into the nitty-gritty. You start asking, well, well, to what degree does he love the world? And you can ask questions like that. We were discussing in our Sunday school class with the young people this morning about this very thing and the fact there are degrees. I mean, though we're to love our neighbor, you wouldn't expect, at least I hope not, you wouldn't expect me to love my neighbor to the same intensity and way and expression that I love my wife. There, there's, there are differences there. And we look at our spouses, we look at our children, and we look at our family and then extended family, our church family, and then out into the neighborhood and so on. There are degrees of expression of love. And this is true even in the world. God sends His reign on the just and on the unjust. He favors them. And so there are different expressions or categories you can think about God's love in terms of its showing forth in the world. But let's not miss the point. There is a love. He so loved the world. The Lord Jesus, in the presence of one who may have been bigoted, shows that God's love does not discriminate by ethnicity. Jesus, the Jew, came into the world for the world. Jesus, the Jew, came into the world for the world, for the needs of men and women and young people scattered across all nations in all periods of time until the Lord Jesus returns. This is expressed in various ways. I can't trace this through all of John's gospel and his letters, but you do see it in a number of ways. What's, what's quite remarkable is that the high priest Caiaphas, when you come to John 11, he, he says something interesting. I'll read John 11, verse 49 following. One of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. He's not just dying here for Israel, but the children of God, those chosen in Christ before the world was even fashioned by God, He's coming for them all. When John records it in his epistle, he deals with the very same thing. He words it slightly differently in 1 John 2, verse 2. Speaking of Christ, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, not just this, this Jewish designation, but also for the sins of the whole world. The children of God scattered abroad throughout the world. The world needs it. The world needs this mission of God. And this is what we think about at this time of the year. It's come to us. We, we, we have this way of looking at ourselves and feeling a little like we're the center of, of the world and the universe. And some of that is understandable because we're more focused on ourselves and our own affairs than anything else. So it makes sense. But at the same time, when you think about this, I mean, this, this is going out to the world. This, this is why we send missionaries. This is why we encourage people to go 
anywhere and everywhere with the gospel, whether it be downtown Greenville or to other nations across the globe. Then thirdly, the action necessitating it. What, what, is, what is going on here? In this, this mission, what do we see coming to pass? He gave His only begotten Son. To fulfill this mission requires that there's the giving of God's only begotten Son, or only, or let's put it this way, His one-of-a-kind Son. The Lord Jesus is unique. He is one-of-a-kind, born of a virgin, born into this world in such a way that the language is not simply that He was born, but He was sent. Sent. As if He came from somewhere else to here, which is what happened. Son of God, the eternal Son of God, deity, came into this world. The extent of God's love is shown by the immensity of His gift. How much does He love? He sends His Son. The extent of His love for the world is so vast, He gives His only unique Son. And this, this, shows, this shows how broken the world is in. I mean, you see it. I don't have to sell it to you. You see the headlines. You see the things going on. You see war-ravaged nations. You see other distressing scenes happening on the streets of our own nation here. You see all sorts of things. You, you, you sometimes are in shock and horror at the violence and at all the craziness. This world is so broken that only the Maker can address the problem. And that's what we think about this time of the year. The Maker comes to address the problem. All things were made by Him. We had it read in John 1. All things were made by Him. He takes on flesh to dwell among us. God gave a son, and he gave a son, let's be clear, he gave a son in such a way that he could save sinners. And this is why the incarnation is important. It's not just deity coming into the world, like the Holy Spirit is in the world, but deity taking on flesh. We read tremendous language in Romans 8. Every Christian here knows it thinks about it, prays over it, rejoices in it. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. It's all born by Christ. We're set free because of the Lord Jesus and what He has accomplished. But how? How? Verse 3 of that same chapter says, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That's the key, to address sin, to condemn sin, to put away sin, to address sin requires that God take flesh. He condemns sin in the flesh. So you look at it all and you think, well, this is, this is an interesting story, God coming into the world. If it doesn't happen as it has been clearly articulated through Scripture, and what we've been singing about, if it doesn't happen that way, we are lost. There's no reconciliation with God. There's no pardon. There's no forgiveness. There's no trying to convince God that we 
deserve heaven. We can't do that. And I know this by experience because (laughs) you couldn't convince me you're a good person, never mind God. And if you're honest with yourself, you can't convince yourself you're a good person. I do this. Talk to people downtown, talk to people in the streets. I talk to them in such a way where I ask them a few questions, ask them certain things. Have you ever told a lie? You know, things like this. Well-known approach of using God's law. I don't condemn them. They condemn themselves. I don't have to do it. I don't have to say you're a bad person. They tell me that they're a bad person. They say that they've broken the law. And that's true for every one of us. The world is so broken, only the maker can fix it. He takes on flesh to do that. You think of the things that are perfect, especially in the context of Romans 8. I don't mean to get sidetracked, but you know, the context in which that is, is expressed there of, of him condemning sin in the flesh, taking on flesh, is looking at this, the law. The law can't do this. Now think about what Paul is saying there in Romans 8. He's saying the law can't accomplish something. And again, if you were Jewish, you'd be thinking to yourself, hold on, hang on a minute. The law of the Lord, Psalm 19, is perfect. Are you criticizing the law, Paul? No, not not. I'm not criticizing the law. The law of the Lord is perfect, but it can't save. The law may be perfect, but it is powerless to save. The law is just, but it is powerless to justify. It can regulate the sinless, but it cannot redeem the sinful. And once you recognize you are sinful, which is what... I think the majority of us here tonight have recognized I'm sinful. Once you realize that, the law can't help you anymore. You need God incarnate. Fourthly, the instruction to receive it. This mission expressed here in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him. There's an instruction here, isn't there? Whosoever believeth in him. Now there's encouragement here for the Christian. Whosoever keeps on believing in him. So let me just stop there for the sake of believers. It's expected of you as a child of God that you keep on believing. You keep on believing. And this means if you're here tonight facing difficulty, trial, hardship, questions about the future, uncertainties, challenges of whatever description. Your job isn't always to fix the problem because as you have learned through bitter experience, many times you cannot do that. You can't fix every problem, but you can keep believing. What we're thinking about this morning What they said about the Lord Jesus, he trusted in God. was true. What did he do on the cross? He kept on trusting. He kept on trusting. Whosoever believeth in him, believe. That's it. Say, what am I to do with this message of Christmas, of 
of God sending His Son. What am I to do? Believe it. Believe it. Not just know it, not just agree with it, but believe it. Believe it. You have to believe it, right? Which requires a complete trust in it, okay? <laughs> so, for, imagine for a moment that you're watching someone go across a tightrope over the Niagara Falls. And I don't know if you've been to Niagara Falls, but it's, it's quite a sight. It's quite a thing. I, we were having lunch there, just, and as I looked out the window, you just see this, this torrent of the Niagara Falls. It's like after 40 minutes or so of eating lunch, I'm looking, it's like it just keeps coming. I mean, the water just, where does all this water come from? It's quite a thing. It really is. And it was devastating, the power and the force of it. If you stand over, at least the Canadian side, not to offend <laughs> being in America, but you have, to, you have to see the Canadian side. And you stand there and you look at it. Now imagine, and it's been done, tightrope across this, and you, walk, you watch someone go back and forth, back and forth, he carries various things, he, he's able to balance various things, no matter what, he's able to do that. Even large things, carry it across, no problem, doesn't miss a beat, walks across. You say, I see it, I, I believe it, and then he comes and he says, would you like to volunteer that I can carry you across? Would you do it? You might hesitate. I imagine you probably would. Say, no, no, that's okay. I'll watch someone else. Well, that's what some do with the gospel. Same thing. You believe it. You know it. You agree in your head, but you will not step into the arms of Christ and let him carry you into a right relationship with God. That's trust. Some of you are afraid of it. You're afraid of what it might mean. I tell you, don't be afraid of it. Be afraid if you don't. Be afraid of the consequences if you're found without Christ, without any way of standing before God and knowing that your sins are forgiven because this is why He came, to cleanse and wash and reconcile and forgive. And what are you to do? Believe. Believe. Whosoever believeth, in him. This is the remedy. This is what you are to do. And it's for anyone. Look at it. Whosoever. Whosoever. You can put your own name there. In fact, do it in your own mind. Put your own name there. Put your first name right there. Put your first and last name. Put your entire name in there. That if your name, you put it in there, believeth in Jesus, should not perish. Can you put your name there? Finally, the result of acquiring it. If you acquire the benefit of this mission, if you take it to yourself, what does it promise to you? You should not perish, but have everlasting life. Perish. Not very popular. Doesn't God just love everyone and let everyone go to heaven? Let me put, let me, let me reframe that inquiry. What if the Supreme Court and all the judges of the land decided, we're just going to love everyone and let everyone away with every crime they commit? You want to live in America, in an America like that? However bad you think it is now, 
If all the judges of the land think we're just going to love all Americans and everyone in the country and we're just going to let them go free no matter what crime they've committed. In fact, we'll let everyone who's in the incarcerated currently, let them all free as well. And you wouldn't be too long on booking tickets out of here, I imagine. That's what you're asking God to do. You're asking God to wink, to, to make light, to ignore, to act like your crimes against his law are nothing. But they're not nothing. And if you want proof that they're not nothing, you go to the cross. Yes, you go from Bethlehem all the way to the cross of Calvary and you see there the inflexibility of God's justice as Jesus, God made flesh, takes sin upon himself and he is judged. He is condemned. He dies there, the just for the unjust. Because that's what it takes to bring us to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you have it? Do you have everlasting life? The wonderful truth is you can have it here, now, tonight, where you're sat, in the pew, in this building. You, you just receive it by faith. You say, preacher, you're telling me if I just ask God to save me, he will save me? Yes. Are you prepared to believe Christ, to commit your life to Christ, to live for Christ, to publish this good news? to the world about Christ? Come. Come as you are. Believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing and uh, and we'll close our meeting. So it doesn't say stand for this piece, but I think we should stand. Yeah. <laughs>
Just before I pray, some instructions for you. I will give thanks for the food here so that we can uh, just uh, proceed to the food that's provided for you in the other building, down the stairs. Just watch your step going down those stairs and into the hallway there. I encourage visitors and seniors first. So if you fall into that category, we are encouraging you to move to the front, uh, seniors and visitors first, and then the rest of us we will get in in due course. But I think that's all. Thank you again for being here. And again, if you have any questions, anything we can do to serve you or even pray for you and help you in any way, please let us know. Let us pray. Our Father, we are thankful for this great truth of the wonder of thy love. We thank you for the message that we consider that is so familiar to us Let not that familiarity be lost on us. Help us every day to rejoice that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, no matter background, no matter what the sin, no matter what we may have done, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Grant that all within the sound of our voice here tonight would be ready on that great day of judgment when Christ will come and the whole of all humanity will be judged by Him. Bless our fellowship tonight. Grant, O God, that you will be in our conversation. Help us to eat and to drink to Thy glory. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all the people of God now and evermore. Amen.